Church, you know it. You know it. Paul says, Jews, they demand signs, and Greeks, they need wisdom, they need understanding, but Paul says, this is what we bring to you, Christ crucified. But the amazing, the most amazing piece of that, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the truth that we just sang. And Paul says, hey, look, if Christ has not risen from the dead, you Christians are most to be pitied. So you might as well just eat and drink and live life and be merry because that's all there is. But because of the truth that Jesus Christ is alive, we have so much to celebrate. So let's pray. Lord, we come to your feet, our risen Savior, Jesus. You are our living hope. And oh God, you have given us absolutely too much to celebrate in this short life. Praise you that you have given us with you all of eternity to celebrate the magnificence of who you are and the privilege it is that we get to be in relationship with you. Pour your spirit out on our church, God. Do a mighty work here, I pray. We pray. May the words that are spoken now that come from your word honor you. I pray, Lord, that it would fall on ears that are ready and hearts that are ready to receive it. And we ask, Lord, that you would get the glory and it would be for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids. I think you're uh, to leave now. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and as you do, um, (laughs) I've never, like, I've been told you keep your eyes open during worship, because you really need to see the expressions of other people worshiping, hands raised in the air, you need to see the passion in their faces. But you know what's kind of funny? The people that were behind us, behind here, had no idea what was going on, did they? As a bat... You saw it flew across the stage, and so now I'm wondering. I hope it's a dove. I think it's a dove. <laughs> I don't think it's a dove. So, do I need to stand like this to preach, Kevin? He's gone. Sweet. Oh, nice. Way to go, Dave Clinton Smith. I oh, we had to address it because. I don't know about you, but it took a little bit for me to enter back into worship without thinking about a bat in my hair, and I don't have that much, so some of you ladies, I would suppose it would be a little more disturbing for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, here we go. We're going to continue on back in our series. We took two weeks off. We didn't really take two weeks off, but two weeks off from 1 Corinthians as we focused on um, a few verses in Romans chapter 8 for Easter. Uh, Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday as we celebrated our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. But here we go, um, back into our series that we call Empowered, um, Empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. So when we come into relationship with Him, He gives us one time and forevermore the presence of His Holy Spirit in us that empowers us to be able to be in relationship with him, and then as a result of our relationship with him, to be able to serve him with all our hearts. And uh, so empowered, that was chapter 12, um, by the Holy Spirit. And Paul declares to us that there are a variety of gifts 
that are given to us for the common good of the church. I want you to, like right now, I want you to keep remembering for the common good. Chapter 12, empowered by the Holy Spirit, variety of gifts for the common good. And and these gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit and arranged by him as he chooses and as he wills. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, why did we start this series? Um, I suppose we need to revisit that. And uh, we just really, we believe that the church over the years, not, not necessarily ours, but maybe ours, um, have neglected um, paying attention uh, from the pulpit uh, the, the importance of our relationship to God through the Holy Spirit in us. And so we decided we're going to, we're going to enter into a study of that. But also, um, if you remember, 2020 was a year where many people... We're, we're looking for other churches and we're, we're moving around. And, and we know that there are some people that have come here from uh, church backgrounds that, that teach and think differently regarding the, the priority of the Holy Spirit in the church and how we see the Holy Spirit being active. And so we wanted to be clear um, for all of us um, but we think about you all in particular. Um, what, how do we see the Holy Spirit being actively at work at Summit Church? And so this is a sermon for Summit Church. It's not for anyone else. I'm not, we're not pointing fingers at anybody. This is just what we believe the Holy Spirit of God is revealing to Summit Church through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And then he says, as he starts it out, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, uh, the things of the Holy Spirit, I do not want you to be uninformed because before you were in relationship with God, you were led astray by idols, the idols of the heart, the things that you determined were best for you. So we just don't want you to be uninformed about the position of and the priority of the Holy Spirit in the church. And then he says in in verse 7 of of chapter 12 that to each one is given, as you come into relationship with the Lord, to each one is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. It is for the common good of the church. Keep remembering that for the, for the common good. Then, then in chapter 12, verse 17, he's, Paul says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one as he chose. So Christ is the head of the church. When we come into relationship with him, he gives us his Holy Spirit and he determines how we are supposed to interact together as he chooses to gift each one. At the end of chapter 12, he's about ready to head into the love chapter, chapter 13. He says, but I want you to earnestly desire the higher gifts. And the higher gifts are the word proclaiming gifts. The word proclaiming gifts, the the message of the gospel, the, the full counsel of the word of God, these are the ones I want you to earnestly desire to see these active in the life of the church. And then he says, I'm going to show you yet still a more excellent way to see the Holy Spirit working in your church. Summit. And then he goes to chapter 13, empowered by the Holy Spirit to love, to love those that he brings in to relationship with us through the Holy Spirit. Now chapter 14, here we are. I'm going to confess to you, I have studied this one a lot more than most others. 
And here's why, because I, I really believe this. This is probably that the church, the broader context of the church, has made this one of the more divisive chapters in all of Scripture. God gifted us with the Holy Spirit with the full intention of unifying us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Yet I believe the church, the broader context of the church, has taken this and turned something that God intends to be unifying to be divisive. So I'm a bit nervous about this one. Uh, Jasper and I, uh, we're like, okay, who's going to start this one off? So, of course, like we do, when we don't know, we pray about it. And then I told, I told some people we flipped a coin, but it was actually we flipped a pen. And uh, the pen landed. Whichever one it points closest to is the one that gets to preach it. So it landed pointing directly at me. And so uh, one of my small group, uh, one of the guys I had that prays for me, he said, did you, con- did you count that a win or a loss? And uh, I said, well, I, I always trust in the full sovereignty of God, so it is a definite win. The reason why it concerns me is because of the divisive nature um, that has come by the church's impressions of this. I have listened to those who believe that the gift of tongues, and we're coming to that, is still active and a valid gift that God is using in the life of the church. And I've listened to those on the other side and everyone in between. And here's, here's the conclusion I came to. I, I watched this guy. He said, he said this, eight lies about the gift of tongues. And I thought, oh, you know, I, I'm really interested to hear what he has to say. So, Mr. Eight Lies, that, um, that you've been told about tongues... What he has done is pointed the finger and said, these guys over here are the ones that are lying to you about what tongues is. And then there are people on this side, they're not necessarily saying that they're lying, but they're saying this is where they're inaccurate. And guess what? All of them turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to make their defense for what they believe about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of tongues. And so then I lament here we are. This is, this is, I lament for the church. Well, then who do we believe? Who do we believe as it relates to what chapter 14 has to say about prophecy and about tongues and about orderly worship? If I'm nervous at all about this, this is what, where it comes from. I stand accountable for making sure I declare the word of God to you in the way that God intends it to be delivered. They're convincing and they're convincing, no matter who you listen to. But here's the word to you. Please hear me. We're, we're, your elders are doing the best we can to deliver the word of God in a way that, is it, that God intends it to be delivered. But ultimately, it's going to come down to this. You hear us say this all the time. You need to be Berean. You need to be Berean. You need to study the word for yourself and you need to come to your own conclusion based on what you believe God is saying out of this. We're doing our best and we trust that the Lord is leading us by the power and might of his Holy Spirit to declare the word. But ultimately it comes down to you have to come to a place of peace for what you believe about the gifts of prophecy, about the gift of tongues, about what orderly worship looks like inside the church in the broader context of the church. And so my prayer is that I would rightly handle the word and that it would be done with humility and that you would do your own personal study 
and see what God has to say to you through his word. First Corinthians chapter 10, or excuse me, verse one, chapter 10 says this. Paul makes the appeal, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want you all to agree. I want you all to agree that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That all of you agree that we're united in the same mind. And I'm like, when I read this, I'm like, how in the world can we all agree? When you have these people saying this, when you have these people saying this, I really think it comes down to this. Verse 23 of chapter one, Paul says, I come to you preaching Christ crucified. So if there is a launch point for anything that we believe as a church, this is the great unifying truth. Christ crucified, risen from the dead. The moment you believe in that, he gives you his Holy Spirit then to direct you throughout every corner and facet of life. That's where unity comes from, believing that. This is a letter that's written to a church 2,000 years ago, okay? It's written to the Corinthian church. So while it is written to them, it is not written to us. While it is written to them, it is written for us. Here's what's kind of crazy. Paul says in chapter 10, he says, listen, Corinthian church, Remember like a thousand or fifteen hundred years ago, remember Israel. Everything that happened to them was done with an expressed purpose of God saying, I want this to be recorded and written down for my people that are going to exist a thousand and fifteen hundred years from now. He's like, I want us, Corinthian church, to remember Israel and what they did how they went after idols, and how that impacted their relationship with the Lord. And there was a moment where they they made a golden calf. There were 23-some thousand people put to death because of their carousing. And Paul is saying, this was written for our instruction. So as they are to remember what happened to Israel... We stand some 2,000 years later looking back to a letter that was written to a Corinthian church that had become so very corrupt in so many different ways in their worship service. And so we can say, just as Paul did, that was written for them, and we can learn from Israel as well. This is written for the Corinthian church, and now we look back and say, these things that were written to the Corinthian church are written down for us to learn from, okay? This is the Corinthian church. The letter is written to them. Paul says to them, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. He says, even now, as he writes this letter, you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. You're still of the flesh. Now, How is that possible? Because they believe Christ crucified. And so it was a church, brothers. Paul is declaring them to be the church. Members with Jesus Christ. They had already accepted him, yet they were living as fleshly people. Here's what I believe was happening there. They had relationship with Christ, yet they wanted what he had for them. That was their focus. They were asking a question like this, God, what more do you have for me? Okay? 
Paul is like, I can only give you pure spiritual milk right now because you're not ready for the meat of the fullness of the scripture, the word of God. I can only give you milk. So this, this would be kind of what it's like. They, they looked at the, the smorgasbord of gifts that the Lord had established for the church and they began to pick and choose, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? What do you have for me? And most of them settled, many settled on this gift of tongues and they started using it for their own personal benefit. This is what's happening, okay? They were asking the question, God, what more do you have for me? It would be like, it would be like you and me, pick your favorite restaurant. Mine would be, one of them would be Buffalo Wild Wings. And so imagine if my full diet constantly was Buffalo Wild Wings. How miserable would I feel? How miserable would I look? How miserable would I be on the inside? What looks good that I want with the intention of serving me ultimately ends up being bad for me. There's nothing wrong with buffalo wild wings here and there, but a steady diet of it, a steady diet of consuming for my own personal gain leaves me in a pretty rough spot. What they should have been asking is, Lord, what do you want from me? Not what do you have for me, but what do you want from me? And so now imagine, now I don't, I know some in here are just like crazy health freaks. Set a table for us of the most healthy foods that we could eat. I believe this is what Paul is saying. I want you to move past spiritual milk. I don't want you to come after me in such a way to look for what more I have for you. I want you to love me by doing the things I want you to do. So, Smorgasbord of the most healthy food. Doesn't look good very often. Oftentimes it doesn't taste good, so we season it up. But here's the point. Asking the question, Lord, what more do you want from me? What do you want from me? Is us desiring the full counsel of the healthy word of God as God determines it's for us. God wants us to make our gifts, the ones that he has given to the church, about everyone else. Lord, what do you want from me? He wants us to make our practice and use of the gifts about everyone else. So today, five verses, we're going to look at how the Corinthian church got that flipped around. They were more concerned with the Buffalo Wild Wings approach to what God has for them than the healthy table of food, which comes with a question, okay, God, now what do you want from me? So our big question for the day is this. How do we make our gifts about everyone else? So if you were at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're gonna look at the first five verses, all right? So here we go. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I, want you to, I, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, 
unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Here's the grand context. And so if you leave here confused about anything that's said today, this is the thing that I want you to make sure you walk away with. And I believe it's Paul's message throughout the entire letter, but specifically in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And this is the grand context, the edification of others. We love others with our gifts. No gift is given with the intention of being spent on yourself. I believe that's Paul's overarching message in these three chapters. So, if that's the grand context, how do we make our gifts about everyone else? That's our question today. Here's the first one, by pursuing love above all things. Look at verse one, first two words. Remember what it's on the heels of. If you remove, if you remove chapter breaks, chapter 14, if you remove verse numbers, he rolls right from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talking to us about what it is to love and how we love, and he rolls right into, now listen, I want you to pursue love. Pursue love. It means this. It means to get after. It means to hunt for It means to chase after with intensity. It means to throw yourself at. It means to jump on. So just real quick, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're supposed to jump on this. We're supposed to throw ourselves at it. The original word, which I believe the reason why they didn't use this, the the translators, is persecute love. So when I have never heard the word persecute used in a, in a good context. I've never heard that. I've only heard it like Paul was a massive persecutor of the church. He saw people thrown in jail. He saw people tortured. He saw people put to death and he celebrated those things because he was a persecutor of the church. What did he do? He threw himself at putting the church down as best he could by persecuting. We are to persecute love. We're supposed to go after love with the same intensity that we see Paul going after the church in order to see them put down. In the ski community, it's called full send So if you can imagine this, you're standing at the top of a double black diamond that's really, really steep and full of massive big moguls or bumps, whatever you want to call them, and you're determined, I'm going. If I fall, I know I'm not, I'm not going to stop rolling until I get to bottom, but, but full send means here I go. It also means, here's a, here's a flat groomed, I'm going to turn on my trail, I'm going to turn my ski track, a ski tracks app on, which determines your speed. And you are determined to see if you can go faster than the last time. That's called full send. When we love others, we are supposed to full send our love, get after our love, to persecute. First Corinthians chapter four, verses, or or, yeah, chapter 13, verses four to seven. So we're supposed to persecute patience and kindness We're not supposed to envy, persecute not envying or boasting. We're not to be arrogant or rude. 
We're not to insist on our own way, but we are, and we are not to be irritable, resentful. We're not to rejoice at wrongdoing. We're to rejoice with truth. We're to bear with all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. Here's the application. Persistence. Let's put it like this. Persistence in a hard relational situation. We're to persecute love. I thought, you, I thought we were going to talk about tongues and prophecy. Well, we are. But Paul is like, we're not getting there until you understand love to its fullest context. And so I have a friend, made decisions. His kids haven't talked to him for five years. Guess what? After five years of kids not wanting to talk to you, you start losing hope, don't you? This is what it would be to persecute love as it relates to a broken relationship like that. Let's put it this way. I am prepared for the rest of my life to bear with my children. I am prepared for the rest of my life to believe that good is going to come from this. I am prepared to hope and never give up hope. This is verse seven of chapter 13. I am prepared to hope that there will be reconciliation in whatever is necessary in order to see love restored between myself and my children, I am ready to endure whatever is necessary to see this happen. This is throwing yourself at, this is jumping on, this is full send love, persecuting love. This is on us. The loving peace is on us. This is what he is asking us to do. Pursue love. How do we make our gifts known to everyone else we pursue or or about everyone else we pursue love above all things? That's what we do. Please, make it all about others by loving them. But here's another one. Look Look at the second one. By earnestly desiring the things of the Spirit. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Just a word of clarity, spiritual gifts here. What Paul is communicating is all the activities of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. Not just, not just a focus on the spiritual gifts. I don't know why they translate it that way, but the full message is I want you to understand the activities of the Holy Spirit in your church. And I want you to earnestly desire, not just personally for you and how you're going to express your gift, but that you would see the Holy Spirit actively at work in the life of your church. Why would we ever want that? Because I can tell you this, when you see the Holy Spirit at work, then you see the church alive. The church is alive because the Holy Spirit is moving. And I don't know about you, and I'm supposing you agree with me, there is nothing more I want to see in the life of a church than the Holy Spirit working and proving to each other and to a world that's watching that Christ is alive and moving in this church. Pursue love and earnestly desire. It's to have a deep concern for. It's to be jealous for. It's to covet To be jealous. Everyone understands jealousy. I understand jealousy. Jealousy is driven by like a, a deep desire to say, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. There, were, there was a time shortly after we moved here where uh, Wendy and I and our family, we'd walk the harbor in Grand Haven often. And it was a busy night. Boats are all up and down the harbor. And we're walking along and I'm right beside Wendy 
And uh, some, some guy down in a boat, which it wasn't a very big boat, <laughs> he looks up holding his bottle of beer by the neck and he points at Wendy and he waves at her. And I'm like, I'm right here, man. So we joke about this. What I wanted to say in the moment was, look, man, your boat can't fit in the bathtub of my boat. Like, that's my jealous reaction. I don't have a boat. That's just, that's what I wanted to say. But that's a jealous reaction. Now, I believe there is an appropriate level of husband-driven jealousy because Christ is jealous for his church. There is, there is an unhealthy jealousy, but what the point Paul is making here is I want you to this strongly desire to see the Holy Spirit at work. Covet, okay? He wants you to, covet is another example that Paul is using here for this is how strongly I want you to desire to see me working in your church, covet, okay? So you all know I got a Jeep and some of you gave me a, a, a duck, so thanks for that. But my Jeep is small, I pull into, now, Craig Verbeek works at Crown Motors, and Wendy and I went out with he and, and Vicky on Friday night, and I pull in, and he has a brand new Rubicon 392. And when he turned it on, it sounded like a stock car turning on before a race. It kind of barked and then settled into a really sweet rumble. And so then we pull out on his road, and he lines it up, he floors it. I think, I think they should sell that with a neck brace and uh, something to keep your blood rushing from your head because that was the experience. You know what? My Jeep didn't look so awesome after riding in that. And I suppose there was an ounce of covetousness there, but not much. But that's what, the, the, if, if you're a car guy, if you're a Jeep guy and you're drawn to that, that's what Paul is saying. I want you to so desperately want to see me working in your church. I want, you to, I want you to desire these things, to see these at work. Appropriate, earnest desire, not as individuals, but seeing it at work in our church. When the Holy Spirit moves, the church is alive. But he says, I want you to earnestly desire to see the Holy Spirit move. But I want you to especially desire to see prophecy at work. This is the end of the first verse. Prophecy at work. Why prophecy? What is prophecy before we move any, any further? Prophecy is, is the revelatory declaration of the word of God. And we believe at Summit Church that this piece of prophecy has passed because the book of the Revelation has completed the full counsel of the word of God as he intends for us to have it today. But prophecy is also the declaration of the full counsel of the word of God as the Holy Scriptures declares to us that we are to share. This should be an earnest desire of everyone in the church to see happening in the life of the church. Why? Because Paul tells the Romans that salvation comes through hearing. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
If you want to be built up, if you want to be encouraged by the word of God, this is where it comes from for me. John says it in 3 John. He says, I have no greater joy to hear than my child, that my children are walking in the truth. Man, when the word is declared and our kids hear and give their lives to the Lord, that is one of the most gloriously encouraging moments of any parent's life is to know that. Prophecy is declared in a way that people understand and hear. Yes, it's on us that stand behind this pulpit to declare it, but it's also on you as the Lord would have you live in your home, in your workplace, with your kids, with your friends, wherever you would find yourself. We should earnestly desire to be able to declare the word of God. Verse three, if you look down at verse three, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. I believe that's one of Paul's first reasons for why he wants us to earnestly desire prophecy. But here's a second one. And this is for the Corinthian church. So however this applies to your own personal life, let it be. But this is him writing to the Corinthian church in order to devalue the gift of tongues. That's why he wanted the Corinthian church to earnestly desire prophecy. All right? To pursue love is on us. To satisfy our desire for the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, that is on God. We can desire, but it's up to him to give. We can desire, but he's arranging the gifts in the church as he sees fit. Okay? We... How do we make our gifts about everyone else? Yes, by pursuing love. Yes, by earnestly desiring to see the Spirit move. But here's a third one. By humbly submitting to God's way. You could also put it this way. By making God known the way he wants to be made known. I see Paul right now softening the coming blow. It's like he mentioned it a couple of times in chapter 12. You see him devaluing tongue, which tongues which they made far more important than God ever intended to be made in the life of the church. You can see it in chapter 12. He's, he's trying to help them to put it in its right place. He ends chapter 31 with saying, look it, I have all these gifts, but there's a better way. And then he unloads the love chapter. So he's pointing to love. I can see him taking his time, working to be gracious to them as he comes to this point. Paul is about to step on their toes or even more literally, their tongues. Tongues, as it relates to this passage, well, tongues From Acts chapter 2 on, anytime it's mentioned, Paul is referring to the ability to communicate a language, a supernatural ability to communicate a language other than the one you speak. You can see it in Acts chapter 2. You can see it in Acts chapter 10. You see Paul referring to it right here. Tongues equals languages. It has always, he always intended it to be a sign for the unbeliever. You look at Acts chapter 2. Pentecost, you look at Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles were brought in, it's an expression to the unbeliever. Either Jasper and I are going to preach more on this in the next couple of weeks, not sure where it falls out, but he says this is a sign for the unbeliever. That's what it's for. 
the ability to speak in an unknown language. Remember, this is written to the Corinthian church. So, Paul spends three chapters doing this. (laughs) I'm trying to find my place, so bear with me a second. This is Paul saying, I want you to remember, I am calling you to love with the gifts, not to love the gift. Because far be it from us to think that we are immune from this, it would be very easy for us to fall in love with the very gift that God intended for us to use for the good of others, and we take all of our time and our effort and our energy, fashioning it in such a way that we can spend it on ourselves. That's not Paul's message. That's not what he wants us to get. He wants us to love with them for the concern and the good and the mutual upbuilding and the benefit of others. Love with the gifts, not love the gift. Heaven forbid the gift that he gives us becomes our idol and we can't live without it. So I suppose a good question to ask is, hey, what if the Lord determined right now, Todd, to remove your ability to teach in front of the church or or to instruct others in the way you do? What what are you going to do? How does that change your relationship with the Lord? I should be able to say, may the Lord's will be done in my life. I don't need this gift. I only need him. Love with the gifts, not love the gift. How do I humbly submit to God's way? Maybe we should always be asking this question. For whose benefit am I using this gift? Is it for the benefit of the others or am I using it for my own personal satisfaction? So listen now. Here's Paul. I'm coming back to the devaluation of tongues in the life of the Corinthian church. Here we go. Elevating prophecy, devaluing tongues. Chapter 14. He says that we're to pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy And then he says, for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in himself. If we have time, we're going to look at verse two again. I think we will. Well, let me just say this. Look at verse two. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. He utters mysteries to God. This one has never made sense to me. And so I can't wait for the day where I get to sit down with the Apostle Paul. The one who speaks and and ask him about this. I I suppose that when I do, I'll fully know, like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, so all will be settled and we won't have anything to talk about. But listen, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. Here's what he's saying is, simply put, if you speak in a tongue and there's no one there that understands it, you don't understand it. They don't understand it. The only one that understands it is the very one who gave you the ability to say what that is that he wants you to say. But if no one understands it, it's really, it's of no benefit to anyone. And we're going to see that as we work through chapter 14. That's what Paul is saying. It's not a benefit if someone doesn't understand. If there's someone there that can interpret then it ultimately comes back to prophecy anyway because someone is, being, is able to say, this is what they said for our good. But if no one understands it, it's not good for you, it's not good for them. Only God understands it. And so I don't, I don't understand why God would say, I want, I'm telling you what to say and I'm the only one that utter, understands this mystery. So it's like, I'm telling you to speak back to me. That one has never made sense to me. So 
But verse three, look, here it is, devaluing tongues. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for what? They're up building and encouragement and consolation. Prophecy builds up. Verse three, verse four. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. There it is again. The one who prophesies builds up the church. So if I stand up here right now and I say, Christ has been crucified, he has risen from the dead, we can all celebrate that truth because we know it to be true. It is a benefit to all. It builds you up when I speak prophecy to you. And you're like, okay, now wait a minute, Todd. But he just says right here, um, but the one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. What's that all about? So it sounds like Paul is saying, if I do that, it's going to be for my good. I want to go back to this. Every gift God gives to us through his Holy Spirit is intended for the upbuilding, the uplifting, the encouragement, the consolation for the church. It doesn't make sense to me that Paul would be saying, now I want you to use this gift for your own good. Personally speaking, that doesn't make sense to me. I believe it's contrary to the gospel message of self-sacrifice. And if you read through chapter 13, it seems to be contrary to the full message of love. Paul is saying, I want you to stop being so concerned with tongues and I want you to be concerned with what builds other people up in its prophecy. Look at verse five. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. There it is again, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue unless someone interprets. And there it is, so that the church might be built up. So even if someone comes in a t- with a tongue and someone is able to say, hey, that's, this is what they said, and it, and it is Christ crucified, it is gospel-centric, then, then it ultimately leads back to prophecy. Everything is leading back to prophecy here. Again, Paul is devaluing a gift that they had made much more important than he intended. Okay, so you're like, but wait a minute, Todd. Paul wants all of us to speak in tongues. That's what he just said. Everyone, I want everyone to speak in tongues. Here's what I believe Paul is saying. Wendy and I are going to Hawaii next week, and we're going to renew our vows. We're going to spend two weeks there, and I want you all to come. I would love it. Just be absolutely spectacular if we could celebrate our vows with all of you in Hawaii. Yes, absolutely. That's what I want. But here's what I understand. That's virtually impossible for everyone to go. I wish you all could speak in tongues. Paul's making that concession to them, but he knows they don't. Look at chapter 12. Not everyone is gifted with every spiritual gift. So it can't mean that he wants everyone to speak in tongues. And we're going to see this more as we roll through chapter 14. That's today's passages that talks about the upbuilding of the church. Next week and on into chapter 14, verse 6, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy. How will I benefit you? There it is again for the, for the eighth time. This is about others. Verse 12, 
So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, which is really good, strive to excel in what? The building up of the church. Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for what? The building up of the church. Verse 31, for you can all prophesy one by one. Paul's bringing order to a disordered worship experience in the Corinthian church that all may learn and be encouraged. It's about the church. You can go back to chapter 12, verse 7. Each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When Paul defines love in chapter 13, he's saying this is about others. Church, first and foremost, we pursue love. That's on us. We earnestly desire the full man, fullest manifestation of the Holy Spirit as he sees fit for Summit Church. That's our they earnestly desire. Now, the fulfillment of that desire is up to the Lord. We pursue love. He satisfies our desires, our earnest desires, as the Holy Spirit works. But we must always be about revealing and showing God in the life of our church the way he wants to be revealed. We humbly accept his plan. So... How can we learn from the Corinthian church? I want to ask you this question and I want to leave you with this. What has God given you besides your faith that you believe you cannot live without? We cannot live without our relationship with Christ. But what has he given you that you realize I can't live without? Is it a family member? Is it a gift of the Holy Spirit? Is it an activity in the life of the church? What is it if the Lord determined today, I'm going to remove this from you? How does that change your faith and your relationship with Christ? Because it should not change your faith. It should not challenge your faith. You should not think you're lacking. It's only that God has determined, I don't want you to have this anymore. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom, but we in Summit Church preach Christ crucified. It's my prayer that you don't need a sign from God to reveal to you the faith that you should have in him. It's my prayer that you, you don't need to be convinced by us to believe in Christ crucified. We simply settle in to the most unifying and amazing truth of all, Christ crucified which is a stumbling block to those that need signs and it's folly to those that need to be convinced. That's 1 Corinthians chapter one. Christ crucified. We are bound together by the Holy Spirit and it's my, it's my earnest desire as we pursue love together that we see the fullest and most appropriate manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the life of Summit Church as God sees fit for us to see. Father, thank you so much for this word. It's my, Lord, I have, clearly I have many desires. I say it too many times. 
But Lord, I pray that your word is what unifies. I pray that your word is what clarifies. I pray, God, as you pour your spirit out on our church, that you would make yourself known in the very way you intend to be made known. And we pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen.